Real Life Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you weekly by Woody Overton, Jim Rathman, and executive producer Toby Tomplay. of acts of violence or that are of a sexual nature. It should be for people that are 18 years or older. Heed my warning, people. Jim and I do not get the facts of these cases off of the internet or from some television show. The facts we're retelling you were presented to us by the victims of the crimes or the perpetrators who committed the crimes against the victims. My description of the crime scenes or what I saw with my own two eyes. If you're going to get offended, please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody. I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And rocking the mic by myself today, y'all. Jim's in Orlando, and executive producer Toby Tomplay is locked up in his house, as he should be because of the coronavirus. And y'all know we've been recording with uh, Toby for ooh, over a month now. We've been go- I've, I've been going to his studio to record, and he's up the sound quality and everything. It's just been amazing, but not happening, y'all. We we're going to start a two-part series today. Not happening. Uh, Rona's got everything shut down, and so in accordance with that, what I'm going to do is release an older patron member only episode which it's it's old time woody storytelling it's a pretty funny story it's called brother brotherly love and so we're going to release that to everybody patron members don't worry i got a, a new episode uh to replace that or actually a bunch more videos we're going to upload for y'all to replace that so you'll have plenty to watch in, in your patron content although uh, to replace this one that we're pulling, but y'all all heard this one, and it's one of the first ones I did, I think. So I'm going to do an episode tonight called Brotherly Love, and as usual, it's, I mean, there's nothing really, really bad graphic in this except for language, uh, but here we go, Brotherly Love. In 2001, I was working in the Uniform Patrol Division for the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office, and I was assigned to the night shift, which is what I wanted to work nights, right? Because that's when all the action happens on the east side of the parish. Now, I told you in the past that Livingston Parish is, for law enforcement purposes, 
is geographically divided into two sides, the east and the west. Now, Livingston Parish, y'all, and for everybody outside of Louisiana, we use parishes instead of saying counties. That's all it means. Livingston Parish is huge geographically. I mean, it's like big, one of the biggest in Louisiana. And it, I mean, you know, 30 miles across and stuff like that. And it's it's just big. So the east side of the parish is more rural and there's, there's only a couple small towns, et cetera. And, but it's a lot of farming and rivers and swamp and stuff like that. And the west side is where the big cities are, Walker and then Denham Springs. And I know y'all have heard me talk about many episodes in Walker, Louisiana. And those are real big cities now. So anyway, the east side of the parish would maybe have three deputies, 10-8, or that means on duty at nighttime if you were lucky. And then our calls would come in. Now, we'd get them, but we were so spread out that from the north all the way down south, I could go from the southern end of the east side of the parish to the northern end. If I had to run to back somebody up all the way at the northern end, it would literally take me 40 minutes to get there. So that's how big it is geographically. And we would have three deputies, if we were lucky, 10-8 on the east side, and most of the time we only had two. Where the west side, they had a higher call volume, and even though they had the major police departments of Walker City and Denham Springs City to back them up, and, and those towns actually caught their own calls, the, I mean, there's just a lot of area to cover, and they, they probably had five to six or more deputies on 10-8 or on duty on any night. Anyway, so in 2001, I was 10-8. It was just after dark on a hot August summer night. And I got a call from dispatch. And it said 259-361-259 is dispatch. I was three unit 361. I said, go ahead. And they said, we have a 103G in progress and such and such road and such and such location. Now, I was the one that was closest to the call. And a 103G is a disturbance with a gun that's been called in by 911. So I'm like 10 4 en route, and I started hauling ass over there. And I said, 259, what's the status on the 103G? And they said, brother that lives in his parents' house has his parents and his brother and his brother's wife and two kids at gunpoint and he says he's going to kill them all and she said we're on the line with them we can hear him screaming that he's going to kill them etc i said 10 4 just keep me posted i'm rolling code which means i'm lights and sirens but actually y'all when you roll code most of the time you don't because um people just are fucking idiots when you come up behind them with your lights and sirens on you know a lot of times they'll slam on the brakes in front of you or pull over the, the wrong way. It, it almost causes more accidents. And I, I've had several good friends that get really seriously injured responding by rolling code, which means lights and sirens. So I never used them unless I had to clear traffic to get through an intersection or something like that because it was just so dangerous to do it. But on this one, uh, I'm calling for backup. And John T. Wilkerson and Brad Truel were 10-8 on the east side of the parish also. Now, naturally, 
I don't want to go to a call where I know not 911 or dispatchers have these people on the line and they can hear the guy making threats that he's going to kill them all, the whole family in the house, et cetera. And the caller says, no, he's, he's got a pistol. He's got a pistol. And my partners, John T and Brad true knew automatically they were rolling my way. Right. As well as any town units on the East side of the parish that were available. Now let's talk about that real quick. So you understand there's several small towns on the east side of the parish, but they're really spread out geographically. You have like the Killian Police Department, and it has one full-time officer, I think, and that's the chief, right? And he's not even out at nighttime. And then they have like some reserves that come out and write tickets and stuff on some nights. Then you have the Springfield Police Department, and they used to keep at least one officer on duty around the clock. And then Albany Police Department, uh, would have somebody out at night sometimes, but generally they would go 1042 or, or 10-7-1042, which means they would be at their house and on call in case the sheriff's office needed them or a bad call came out. And then the town of Livingston always kept a, a deputy, not a deputy, an officer out 24 hours a day and see if I'm missing anybody. That's, well, the on the very southwestern end, you had... Uh, French settlement in Port Vincent PD, and they never had anybody out the very late anyway. They, they also went 10 7 10 42. And there's a reason I'm telling you this I'm rolling to I know what is a bad situation, bad guy. Oh, and they said he was high on 967, which means 967 is the Louisiana Revised Statute, it's the law for control dangerous substance and the caller said he's on meth and he had been on meth for several days he was strung out so i know it's going to be a shit show right when when i get there and so i john t was way up north and now on the east side of the parish for me to go from the very southern end which is where i was headed to now to the northern end it, it might take me 40 minutes to drive that far because of the roads are so curvy going through the swamp and then you have to go through the hills and the northern end of the parish etc so john t was a long ways away i know he's 35 minutes away at least i think brad was a little bit closer he was like 25 minutes away so this call goes out on tack two now the west side of the parish where most of the deputies were 10 8 or on duty they used tack one and that's just a radio channel y'all and we were on tack two and the TAC-2 covered us, the three deputies that were 10-8, and any of the small towns, radio traffic. Our dispatchers ran it for all of them. So when that call goes out and they dispatch me to it, everybody knows on the east side. And town units that were close, well, naturally, they're going to come back me up. John C. and Brad Shrew were coming to back me up. But also the dispatch would call John Laudermill, a supervisor who was on the west side, helping run calls and he's headed my way naturally and man it's it's going to be a bad deal and certainly i'm going to need backup so as i i turned down this road it was a gravel road i knew where the road was because i'd passed the street side so many times but it dead ended at, at back in kind of in the swamp in the woods and so when i turned down the road i'm asking for 259, what's the status? She said, same thing. We can hear him screaming. He's going to kill him. Uh, he's armed, et cetera. So I turn out my lights 
certainly don't have my lights and sirens on when I get anywhere close. Because why? Because if he knows I'm coming, then I'm a sitting duck. It literally, if I pull up to the residence and have the lights on in my unit, et cetera, and he wants suicide by cop, all he's got to do is start shooting or if he just wants to kill a cop. So I have to black out and drive it down this gravel road. And when I got about 300 yards from the house, I called in 6259-1097, which means I'm on location, as I will advise. And so the dispatcher says, 259, all units, 1033 TAC 24361. What that means is nobody can talk on the radio now. But, but while I'm out on this call, unless it's an emergency broadcast, which means I'm screaming or something else happens or whatever, they have more information for me. So everybody has to swap over to TAC 1 at that time. Now, when I start to approach the house, it was a, a, a single story brick house. It, it was a nice home, kind of wide in the front, but there was a, I could see a trailer off to the right-hand side. But the lights were on in the house, and the, the, the windows, I mean, I could see through them. As I'm, I was like 50 yards away, and I could hear the dude screaming, I'm going to fucking kill all you motherfuckers. Fuck you, mama. Fuck you, daddy. I'm going to blow your brains out. I'm going to kill all y'all. And And you could hear the family screaming. I mean, it was it was bad, right? So I'm I'm approaching tactfully, and I have my pistol, and I'm going from tree to tree, sneaking up on them, trying to get a vantage spot where I could see. And back then, we didn't have earpieces; we had shoulder mics. So I had to turn my radio down in case dispatch called because I didn't want the bad guy to hear me in the yard with the radio. So I take up position and. I could see the guy walking back forth, and I, and I saw the gun, but I didn't see him pointed at anybody yet. And I was looking in through um, a living room window to the right of the door, if you're looking at the residence. Now, I saw two females with some kids sitting on the couch, and he, his attention wasn't directed on them at that time. It was directed in the direction I couldn't see, it. and it was, it was towards his brother and his father. And But when I saw him turn around, the, one of the females said something. He turned when I saw him point the gun, and then, it, then it's showtime. I mean, I can't not respond, right? And I knew other units were coming, but I knew I was alone. And I didn't mean, what do you do? So I had a good defensive position, and I hollered out, Sheriff's Office, Sheriff's Office. Uh, the, the guy's name was Bob, uh, and I got that out of dispatch before I got there. I said, Sheriff's Office, Sheriff's Office, Bob, come out with your hands up. Put the weapon down, man. Nobody needs to get hurt. And he, he spun around and he came to the window. He said, fuck you, cop. I'm not coming out. Da, 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 da. I said, man, you got to come out. Don't hurt anybody. You don't want to do this. And he's got the gun in his hand. I mean, I could have killed him, but he wasn't pointed at me. But nowadays, I mean, should you see cops shoot people in the back for less, right? And but I wanted his attention away from them. And when he's had his attention towards me, I'm screaming at him, just just drop the gun, drop the gun, come out, drop the gun. And when I was doing that, the females hauled ass out of the living room as well. It, it, he didn't he was paying attention to me. He wasn't paying attention to them. But I saw the females and the kids jet. Right. And. Turned out they went out the back door and I was screaming, don't make me shoot you. Don't make me shoot you. I was doing anything I could to try to keep the dude's attention on me. 
Now, I don't have a flashlight or anything like that. I'm not giving away my position, but he knows I'm close. And he's he was just absolutely focused on me. Unbeknownst to me, the, the dad and his brother also made the escape out the back door. And when I heard them screaming in the backyard, like, we're out, we're out, we're out. And he turns around and he disappears. I'm like, fuck. And so I run up on the door, I kick the door and go in on him tactically, clear the living room and the back door was swinging, right? Dispatch called or, and said, uh, 361, the family's out, the family's out. They're, they're locking themselves in the trailer that's to the right of the residence. They're safe. I said, cool. So, I mean, at this point, I'm standing in the lit house and the bad guy's out there with the gun. And so I got down and, and took a defensive posture or a cover behind the, the side counter in the kitchen so he can shoot me through one of the windows. And then other units start to arrive. And then Brad Shrule arrived first. And I think Leon Winstead, who's just a badass. And I've told you all about him in the 4th of July episode. He, he was older than me. He did it because he loved it. And he was like a captain on a riverboat, an engineer on the Mississippi River. And he had a lot of time off. And he would come out and work law enforcement just because he loved to do it. And he was fearless. And so I hear Brad says 1097 and then Leon says 1097. And that means they're on scene with me. Right. And so I backed out of the house to where they were and we're still, I mean, shit, we're practically crawling, going from cover to cover. And I'm like, okay, look, dude, he, the guy is not in the house, but we went in and we cleared the house, turning off lights so we could protect ourselves. And he wasn't in there. And I told dispatch, I said, we need a K-9. And Deputy Brandon Ashford, who we call Big Country, a big, tall guy, but a hell of a cop, one of my good friends and I worked with him in a lot of situations and we were on the special response team together. Also just a great guy and the best canine handler by far that the sheriff's office had. And his, his canine's name was Harry and Harry, when he was just a pup, got his first canine appreh apprehension from a guy that got away from me on foot one night and a foot pursuit that had a meth lab. What was funny about it was Turned out the guy had a club foot and he outran me, right? So I still catch hell to about that to this day. But anyway, I called for the K-9 and I told him, I said, you need to call his special response team out, which I was a member of. And what happens then is they, they page all the special response team members, or it's SRT. They call Jason Ard, who was the head of the SRT team, who's now the sheriff for Livingston Parish, great guy. The Livingston Parish people, residents are lucky to have him as a sheriff because he truly does care. And the deputy chief of the SRT team was Alden Thomas. And that guy, walking encyclopedia on anything legal to do with law enforcement, but an excellent SWAT guy or, or special response team member. And so what they do when the SRT gets the page, they all respond to her location now if you they were going to go we were going to go do a search warrant they would have met up ahead of time at where they meet up at i won't say where it is and then you know plan their tactics and all that but you know what sometimes sugar's turning to shit like it had here and you need srt as quickly as possible you got a bad guy who's high on meth who's been holding his family pretty much hostage for you know an hour and he, he's made it clear that he's going to kill somebody. So SRT 
or special response team used to be called SWAT. They are who the police call when they get scared or when they need help. And so I knew all of them were coming. And so I just told Leon, you know, when John T that was there by that time, I think also there was four of us. And, and John arrived. We made sure the family was secure in that trailer. And we just staged a semi-perimeter on the house. We knew, okay, so when you're looking at the house, there's a field to the left that had like some cows in it. And then behind the house was an open area, but then there was a thick set of woods. So we're setting up and everybody's in cover and, and we're not turning our flashlights on or anything like that. We're, you know, we don't want to get shot. So we need more bodies on the ground and we need more cops there. And Laudermill gets there, John Laudermill, and he's on the special response team also. And I told him what's going on. So we're waiting on Brandon or Big Country and the K-9 to get there. And the reason for that is we know the dude went out the back door and the dog, Harry, will pick up his scent and we can, we would track him wherever he went, right? And tactically track him. And so there's a bunch of people arriving by this time and, and strength in numbers, et cetera. And you could hear sirens coming in the distance. You, some people, whether it was town units or whatever, weren't being too smart about it. But I guess the bad guy knew we were there, so it didn't matter. Everybody's showing up. And Brandon gets there. And the first thing we do is secure the trailer and the family. And we get them out on behind our security line, if you will, or line of defense. And then make sure they're safe. So now all we're doing, you never go in or you never step or try to chase the bad guy yourself if you don't have to because it messes up the track for the canine, for the dog. So I knew he went out the back door. Uh, I just didn't know exactly what direction. So Brandon gets there with Harry, the canine, and we go through the house and we get on the back door. And at any time the canine handler is running the canine on track, that's what they call it, he, he has to be escorted uh, like a security detail because he's, he's worried about the dog. And, you, you know, if you run up on the bad guy, it, he has to be able to act, and you're there to cover him. So Brandon got there, and immediately Harry picks up the track out of the door, and he hauls ass towards the woods. So we're running uh, behind the canine, following the track. And when we hit the wood line, we stop and to regroup and get, get people in position along the edge of the wood line. And then we heard... Bob starts screaming, hey, fuck you, you fucking cops. I'm going to fucking shoot you. And well, it's pitch black, y'all. I mean, there's no street lights out here or anything else. We're not using flashlights. Bob doesn't have a flashlight, but we know he's not that far. He's like 30 to 50 yards away. So we set up a defensive perimeter and went and talked to, we, were t we engaged him and, uh, you know, I was like, Bob, you, you know, doesn't have to come to that. Just come out with your hands up, drop your gun, come out with your hands up. You're not going to get hurt, et cetera. And the reason for doing that, y'all, is as long as he was responding to us, we knew where he was or his general location. And so we're spreading out tactically along that wood line. Everybody's using cover. and But we knew he was about 30 to 50 yards inside the wood line. So he's like, fuck you, pigs, fuck you. I'm not coming out. I'm going to kill all of you, et cetera, et cetera. So 
Laudermilk, John goes and talks to the family. And by this time, Jason Ard had arrived and they get information from the brother of where, where in that wood line, about 10 or 15 yards inside the wood line is what we call a creek bed. And it was, it's a deep creek bed, meaning it's probably 12 to 15 feet. If you dropped into it, it didn't mean there's running water in it. Uh, it's more like a gully or a wash when the, when the fields drain and the big heavy rains come. This creek bed, it, it runs like a snake. Uh, no rhyme or reason to how it works. Real life, real crime. But the, uh, the creek bed is where all the water would flow out of. And the brother said it's a deep creek bed. It does have standing water in it, but it's no more than three to five feet deep. Um, and he said he's going to be on the other side of the creek bed. That's where he cooks his meth at back there. And he knows the woods well. I and mean, when we were raised here, uh, and he said he will absolutely shoot you. I mean, and he said he'd been up for like, four or five days tweaking, doing meth, and, and said he's just wigged out of his mind and that he just flipped out on them and uh, started screaming stuff and he just decided he was going to kill them all. And that's when they had called 911. So meanwhile, we're on uh, site and Brandon is keeping Harry quiet, the canine, so he's not barking or anything. They're trained like that. And I'm still engaged. I'm like, Bob, you know, come on, man, just come on out. And again, I'm doing this. So if he's moving location, we knew he wasn't trying to sneak around us or what have you. No, but his voice was staying in the same spot. Well, when they come back and tell us it's a creek in between us, a deep creek bed, then well, it makes it a little bit better. Or at least we know he's not getting across that creek without us hearing him. And so he he was just, he was fucking going bananas. Fuck you and pigs, I'm going to kill you and blah, 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 blah. And I'm not coming out. And so now the special response team members, just like I li lived way up north at the time, when you get the page, you got to roll out and you get on, on location. And they have their own special uh, scramble tech radio channel that they talk on. And so they get on location, and Jason R was a hell of a, and he's still a hell of a good leader, but he was a hell of a SWAT team commander. Uh, and Alden was there by that time. And what they would do is SRT guys would get there. They would bring them in. They, they would suit up in the full body armor, the helmets, the whole nine yards, and they had the bulletproof shield. And then what they would do is they would come in and put a SRT member where these cops were the town guys and stuff that weren't trained in the special weapons and tactics. Right. So that's all going on. This is going on now. It's been like two hours, maybe more. So Jason is running the scene. All of them are, are establishing a perimeter with only special response team people that follow this wood line. Cause we know there's a Creek in between us and him and the safest thing to do is just wait him out at this point. Hopefully he comes down, he calms down, et cetera. But anyway, say it takes time, right? And everybody gets in position and uh, shit, it was so hot. I mean, and especially when you were wearing bulletproof vests and helmet, Kevlar helmets and full body gear and all that. I mean, shit, it was hot. And the only thing, Worse than the heat was the mosquitoes. Now, in Louisiana, it's often joked that mosquito is the Louisiana state bird because they're so plentiful here. And the, the, you wouldn't believe 
the size of some of the mosquitoes we have. I call them saber tooth rock breakers, right? I mean, they're huge. And what makes mosquitoes worse is when you're near a source of water. And the only thing that makes it worse than that is when it is standing water. And this creek had standing water and it's not running when when the don't when I say creek, it simply it's more like a drainage ditch that has deep pockets of water in it unless it's raining then it it fills up. So mosquitoes breathe there and dude, the mosquitoes were so bad. I mean you couldn't talk without mosquitoes getting in your mouth. You have just a thousand of them buzzing around your head at any time. So this is an ongoing thing, and, and we're taking turns talking to him to you know, make sure he wasn't trying to sneak off or anything like that. But the decision had been made if something happened that Brandon was going to turn Harry loose to make a canine apprehension because Harry could get across that creek fast or much faster than a human being could, and he could go in and engage the suspect. Well, then we would have to cross the creek, and it's like I said, it's like, you know, deep drop you got to jump down into the creek and then you got to get your ass out the other side meanwhile you got a guy over there with a gun right so we weren't going to do it unless we had to but so this drags out and you're in the heat and then mosquitoes and jason was relieving his the srt guys i mean because uh, you can only stand out there you know for two hours hour at a time and mosquitoes like that and you're, you're getting dehydrated so they, they would relieve people and in like every 30 minutes or 45 minutes one person would go relieve the other one now this is all done in stealth and pitch black these guys are the best right and so they pull the other one out he'd get it out on the other side of the house where the units are staged up where the command center staged up and they give them water and and you get to dope uh spray down with mosquito dope or off or whatever you call it insect repellent again before you go back and then you rotate back into the to the cycle now bob decides he needs some fucking cigarettes and and he's like if you just give me some fucking cigarettes i'll come out just throw me some cigarettes and some water i want some cigarettes some water and i'll come out and then, then jason's like okay um so we bagged him up some cigarettes and a water and told him to keep talking and we would throw it over in the darkness we would throw it over in his direction and he was talking and screaming yeah fucking right give me some water bitches and i want some cigarettes i'll come out just give me my shit and so the bag was thrown over i think it might be 100 grams he did he's a huge dude but he he threw the shit out of it i I think it hit a tree it didn't make it all the way to the guy because we heard him come out looking for it, but we still couldn't see them. And in, in, in 2001, we didn't have night vision or FLIR systems, the infrared system and all that. I mean, we were literally in the dark. So he gets, the only reason we're throwing him water in the cigarettes, it really wasn't about the water. It was about the cigarettes because we knew he would light up. And once he lit the cigarette, then we have a location, all right? Meaning, uh, like when I was in the Army, they taught you that, a cigarette butt or the tip of a cigarette that's lit when you draw in on it you can and it's firing up you can see that from over two miles away in the dark okay so the thought process was let him smoke and then we we can have eyeballs on his exact location etc and so they threw the cigarettes over 
in the water and he's he's smoking and he just wouldn't shut shut up. I mean, have you ever seen somebody tweaking on meth? You would believe it's impossible to talk and shout nonstop like that for hours on the end. Well, it's not when you're on meth, okay? And this guy was really tweaked out. And then uh, some more time went by. He's smoking. They're still talking to him. And he says, you know what? I'll come out. Let me talk to my brother. You send Sam over here. Let me talk to him. And they were like, no, sorry. You know, we're not sending anybody over there. You got a gun. You would throw the gun out and you come out with your hands up and, and let us remove you safely. Then you can talk to Sam. And he's like, fuck that. I just want to tell him something. I want to tell Sam one thing and I'll come out. I swear. And then, I mean, it's just going like four or five hours now. And the decision was made to, uh, we knew where he was. And there's a lot of trees in between us and him. And the decision was made that you could bring Sam in close enough behind a ballistic shield. I'm not even like a hundred yards away with a bullhorn, right? <laughs> it's kind of shit you see in movies. And the decision is made, you know what? If, if he says he's going to give up, he was swear. I swear I'll give up. Just let me tell Sam one thing. And so they brought him Sam up and he was more than a safe distance away and, and behind him, uh, trees and, and a bulletproof shield, et cetera. And so it took some time and it got him up there and, uh, and he swears he's coming out as long as he gets to tell Sam one thing, his, Sam's his brother. And so finally they get safely get him. There's no way we, we knew he had a pistol and, and Sam is well over a hundred yards away behind trees, behind a ballistic shield. Even if he was wild Bill Hickok and could hit something from a hundred yards with a pistol, which you can't, I mean, it would hit the shield. So the guy's safe. I mean, the SRT team knew what they were doing. So they bring him, Sam up, and they give him the bullhorn, the microphone, whatever you want to call it. And Sam says, Bob, Bob, I'm here. You need to come out and give yourself up. And he said, Sam, I'm going to come out and give myself up. Uh, I'm, I'm going to come out and give myself up. I just need to tell you some stuff first. And Sam says, all right, Bob, whatever, man. Just, you know, put the gun down and, and come out and everything's going to be fine. And he said, Bob. And then Bob said, Sam, I got to tell you something, though. I need to talk to you about some stuff. And and Sam says, what is it, Bob? What is it? Bob said, well, you know your wife? And y'all, I'm using fake names for the obvious reasons you're fixing to find out. He said, you know your wife? He said, every day when you get up at 4.30 in the morning and you haul your ass out of bed and you get, get your work boots on and you drive all the way into the plant to go to work for the your 12-hour shift. Now, petrochemical is big in, in Louisiana. And a lot of the jobs, uh, the good-paying jobs in the, in the area are in refineries and stuff like that. And that's where Sam worked at. And, he said, and Sam said, yeah, yeah, Bob, what, what about it? He said, well, every morning when you get up and leave the trailer and you go to work, he said, I go to your house. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I, I didn't see what was coming, obviously. And Sam said, what do you mean you go to my house? He said, well, I go to your house and your wife lets me in. And Sam says, what are you talking about? He said, Sam, your wife does meth with me every day. 
And Sam's like, fuck you, you're lying. And he said, no, 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 Sam, your wife does meth with me every day. And guess what, Sam? I fuck your wife every day while you're going to work and your kids are going to school. Your wife and I are smoking meth and I'm fucking the shit out of her in your bed every day, you stupid motherfucker. And I was like, he said, Sam loses his shit. He had, I mean, fuck you, motherfucker. And then, I mean, obviously it wasn't helping the situation. They had to drag his ass off, right? And they're dragging him off and sugar really turns to shit. Uh, once he couldn't hear Sam's voice anymore, Oh, Bob decides to do a little gunplay, and it was totally unexpected. I mean, we, th- we thought he's been talking for hours and hours. He's got to be coming down. You know, he's, he's got his cigarettes, et cetera. But when that, sh- that engagement with Sam may not have been the smartest thing, but when he knew Sam wasn't there, he said, hey, you know what, cops? Fuck you. Pow, pow, pow. And he starts capping off rounds, and he can't see anything, but doesn't matter. The operation plan was if he if he fires the weapon we're going to engage and so you'll never be able to describe or i'll never be able to describe the feeling that when you're on a perimeter like that and the gun shots start going off right and i mean he wasn't any close to anybody in the debriefing we did afterwards nobody heard the bullet fly over him or hit a tree or whatever i don't know if he was firing it up in the air or in the ground didn't matter he fucked up because Harry, the canine, was a badass. And as soon as he did it, they're like, go, 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 engage. And the our canines were trained in a foreign language. All their commands that they knew were in foreign language. And that's because you don't want to train them in, in English where you say, go, go get them, boy. And then when they're on them, the bad guy can say stop and the dog will stop, right? So Brandon gives the command in the foreign language. And Harry's gone like a bullet. And then Brandon's hit his creek behind him. I hit it behind him. We're stacked up. And we were in the creek. It was a big drop off, y'all. It was almost like a clusterfuck. But so Harry's goes. And there was like two more shots. And then you hear Harry barking as he's going. You hear the two shots. And then you don't hear anything. You hear a big thud. And then you hear Harry just going. And the guy starts screaming like a bitch. It's like, get him off of me, get him off of me, he's killing me. Now, we are stacked up in this creek bed, and we got big country. We got to get him across the other side, and it's a, it's a high embankment. You're not climbing out of it of your own free will, not one person, because it's loose dirt light, and, I mean, it's muddy, et cetera. So we're shoving Brandon out. Brandon was reaching down, pulling me up. Somebody's shoving me up. I'm reaching down, getting the next guy. And then all you could hear this whole time, it seems like it, it seemed like it took five hours and it didn't take probably three minutes before we started proceeding to where the dude was screaming like a bitch. And I mean, and you could hear Harry just tearing that ass up. And so when canines engage like that, y'all, I've, I've worn the suit before to help them train and you take off running and you have the big padded suit on with the arms and the helmet on and all that. They're going to hit you, and they hit you hard. And what they do is hit you to take you down. And when they get a hold of you, they don't let go unless you're fighting and they lose grip. Then they get a, or they go for a better bite or a better grip. So Harry was on this guy, and by now uh, we got we got a point. We turn on the flashlights, and it looked like a damn horror movie. Blood was 
everywhere. And Harry's just eating this dude's ass. And the guy's screaming. He's flopping like a fish. And the more he flopped, the more aggressive Harry was getting and loosening his bite and getting another bite, right? And so we were at the, the gun was on the ground. We secured the gun and surrounded the guy. And Brandon was able to pull Harry off, give him the commands to get off of him. We were on him and we cuffed him up. But look, I thought the dude was going to die. Now, in any situation like this, when it goes tactical, they, you always have an ambulance on, or ambulances on standby. And so the ambulance was on standby. And that Harry had ripped this dude's arm. Look, I mean, you could see bone. And, and he was bleeding like artery bleeding. I'm like, shit, the sucker's going to bleed out. And so we uh, called for the medical to come in as fast as they could. And then we get him up and... Uh, he's just whimpering like a little bitch now. He's done, right? And there's no more fight in him. Um, uh, we were able to affect the arrest. We had to get him back across that creek bed, which was a chore in itself. And we had to drop him down to the people, and they had to push him out the other side. The paramedics were waiting on him, and they were you know, able to save his life, obviously, bandage him up and get him to the hospital. And, of course, he was under arrest, and, and a deputy went with him, et cetera. But, you know, it was a good night for the cops because everybody went home safely. Evidently, it was a bad night for Bob and Sam as Bob spilt the beans about what he, he I don't know if the dude was telling the truth. Bob spilt the beans about what Sam's wife had been doing while he was away every day at work and which you know, banging and doing meth and in Sam's bed. And anyway... I was outside last night, and it was hotter than hell. They had heat index warnings and everything, and it reminded me about this story. So I um, hope you enjoyed it. It's a little bit different um, than murders or the regular stories, but I try to do something different on patron episodes. That's it. So it was, it was a good deal. We got the bad guy. I don't know how much time the guy got or anything like that. I didn't keep up with it. Um, the family was safe, probably except for Sam's wife. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what he did to her, but that's it. So I'm going to conclude this patron bonus episode. I love y'all. I appreciate you. Thank you for voting for us for the people's choice podcast awards, making those, making the final in one category is amazing. Making it in, in two is super amazing. And I, I want to thank y'all for that. It really means a lot. And if you haven't, please leave us a, a review on iTunes. And I thank you again for supporting us through Patreon. It means everything. I love y'all, man. Stay safe. We love and appreciate each and every one of y'all. Thank you for tuning in to Real Life Real Crime. Check out our YouTube channel. Subscribe to it. Follow the instructions. That's where we'll be going live. I'll be going live tomorrow doing a crawfish bowl. So... But we'll be doing all our lives from there. But um, we love each and every one of y'all. We appreciate you. Thank you for listening to Real Life, Real Crime. And we will be back until next time or ever. Don't let me catch you down on murder by you. Peace. Get ready. You're going to do Real crime